This is Howard Anderson, Managing Editor at Information Security Media Group. We're talking today with Stephanie Real, Vice Provost for Information Technologies at Johns Hopkins University and Vice President of Information Services at Johns Hopkins Medicine in Baltimore. Thanks so much for joining us today, Stephanie. My pleasure, Howard. Happy to help. For starters, if you could please briefly describe for us a little bit about the size and scope of Johns Hopkins Medicine and the size of your IT staff. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Um, Johns Hopkins Hospital was founded in 1889 and really is credited with uh, changing the way medicine is delivered in the United States. Um, The School of Medicine, the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, opened in 1893 and became uh, America's first teaching hospital, so really a, a rich foundation. Today, Hopkins Medicine includes that hospital and that school of medicine. Um, Also, uh, however, three other acute care hospitals uh, uh, in the Baltimore area, the Johns Hopkins Bayview Medical Center, Howard County General Hospital, and now Suburban Hospital in the Washington, D.C. suburbs. We also have a long-term care facility on the Bayview Medical Center campus, a phenomenal facility, one of the very few, and in fact, um, for many years, one of the very only long-term care facilities that is an academic center, um, and then one of the largest home care groups in the mid-Atlantic region, and a couple of dozen outpatient care facilities around the state of Maryland, uh, including some community physician-based providers. So to support all of Johns Hopkins Medicine from an IT perspective, we have um, about 250 people uh, focused um, in information technology on the needs of the of the institution, um, and, and that would be just in IT Central. Um, and so 250 people who just support Johns Hopkins Medicine from a central point of view, and then there are an equal number, I'm sure, probably many more than that, out in the departments and the divisions and the affiliates and the entities. So at the central level, we try to provide the infrastructure that allows our affiliates to be as attentive as they need to be to the unique needs that they have. Um, When I look at my entire IT staff across the Johns Hopkins University and all of Johns Hopkins Medicine, and if I attempted to aggregate all of them together, it would be in excess of 750 people reporting up to IT Central. I understand that uh, your organization has a chief security officer as well as a data security team focusing on ensuring privacy and security of all the clinical information systems that you have there now. How long has that team been in place and how big is it? Well, we've had, we hired or recruited our very first chief information security officer four and a half years ago. His name is Darren Lacey, and Darren is just a tremendous asset to our department, a Harvard attorney, uh, but we won't hold that against him, just a, a really phenomenal gentleman who I think has uh, educated all of us on the importance of this topic. He has a small team, uh, about a half a dozen people who focus on information security across the enterprise. And the reason his team is so small is that over the years prior to his recruitment and since his recruitment, we've come to value the fact that security expertise also needs to be embedded within our teams, within our application teams, and within our infrastructure teams. And so Darren has not only solid line reporting responsibility for the people who report directly to him, but a matrix reporting relationship with the the other people who have responsibility for security within the um, other teams of our IT organization. Our privacy officer, however, is uh, is not within the IT department. 
Carol Richardson, a very bright, um, talented, articulate, and high-energy person, reports up to our general counsel's office. And we made that decision deliberately that we, we felt that it was best to have someone looking out for the welfare of our patients from a privacy point of view, not um, not strictly focused on information technology, but really more broadly thinking um, strategically about the need for privacy and attention to privacy and security. And in fact, Darren even has a joint reporting relationship both to me and to our general counsel to ensure that he has the ability to um, identify and uh, call attention to, for her purposes, to any issues that he may feel are um, important or at risk, um, and, and I think that's that's very important. And, and Darren plays an, uh, an important role in ensuring that there is that level of objectivity across the enterprise. And I think is a trusted resource for both the general counsel's office and, and my office. I understand that you and your team are working on a long list of uh, data security projects, maybe ten of them. Uh, can you briefly tick some of those off for us to get a, give us a feel for what you're working on? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Um, the the list of priorities is something that Darren and I update uh, periodically throughout the year, and um, for the most part, I would say our priorities remain the same. Um, however, as we all know, with the publication of the meaningful use requirements, we we may shift some of our focus just a bit. Um, but we we do have a set of priorities, and we also, um, as I've sort of alluded to, we also have security expertise and security requirements and expectations within each of our major projects, our application projects, as an example. Um, so we have our our priorities that are strictly focused on security, and I'll highlight those. And then we have all the issues that are embedded within any major project. So from the standpoint of priorities, at least for the current year, um, the first on our list is to complete our uh, annual application risk assessment, and we do update it probably comprehensively every two years, but we pay attention to it and, and update it in a, in a smaller way every year. Um, and, and this is to satisfy, obviously, the requirements of HIPAA and now also to meet the needs of uh, meaningful use and the ONC requirements. So completing that application risk assessment is first and foremost. And Darren does a very effective job of communicating with all of the application directors and holding them accountable for the part of that risk assessment that they must do. And I think they value the fact that they're held accountable by Darren to do that. And uh, we don't really have any concerns that seems to get done appropriately each year. Um, but what goes hand-in-hand hand with that is sort of our second priority, which is training and workforce development, truly a continuous process. The, uh, the workforce, much like anyone else um, on the planet, we pay attention to those things for which we're held accountable or for which we get recognition and reward. And security is not something that gets a glamorous amount of attention, I would say. So Darren spends a great deal of time visiting with departments and divisions, uh, decentralized IT shops, as well as our own central team, making sure that they're being attentive to um, the issues associated with information security. And so those are our two very top uh, priorities for this year. The others, um, probably similar to other organizations, we are working on something where we may even be a little behind the curve, and that is multi-factor authentication. Um, I know a lot of institutions have invested heavily in this area uh, for years, and we, we really have not. Um, we have uh, explored some solutions but not invested heavily. 
So at this point, we are choosing to recommend soft token access to our, our VPN, to our virtual private network, um, which as your uh, your readers and, and uh, customers will appreciate is really a combination of solutions with um, uh, configuration and IP addresses and, and secondary questions that will be used to secure VPN access. We didn't stumble upon this lightly. We have had uh, a couple of concerns over the past three years that have led us to explore carefully what solutions we should um, embrace and, and endorse and, and enforce. And this is one that we believe is sufficiently mature that we'll be able to complete it this year. Uh, but a big deal for us because we hadn't um, invested much in this space before. Along with um, uh, some of the priorities I mentioned at the onset of this, we're also continuously monitoring all of our applications as we um, implement a system, a new system, something new goes live, or as we embark upon a new project, um, or as our systems go through upgrades and enhancements, we monitor um, whatever security tools and solutions might be available to us and try to uh, strengthen the uh, the uh, perimeter as much as we can for our applications. Included in that is, is really the next priority, which is encryption. And again, um, this came to be a priority because we had had some concerns, uh, much like our colleagues around the country. We have had um, uh, laptops disappear um, or left in the backseat of a car, never again to be seen. And uh, we had to focus a great deal of our energy over the past three or four years on encryption. But it remains a priority because um, in spite of our best efforts, uh, people do uh, uh, neglect it or forget about it or purchase new devices over which we have no control. Um, so we're trying to pay a, a bit more attention to um, encryption in, in all aspects, both in the um, in email, which is uh, an important priority for us, some of which is encrypted, but not all, and also in um, devices and uh, media controls, so USB ports, things of that nature, ensuring that we have encryption. It's interesting, Howard, because we have policies, and we have had policies for many years that clearly explain what our expectations are, and those policies have been appropriately vetted and very appropriately communicated. But like anything else, I think people get distracted by more pressing priorities and forget to pay attention to some of these things. So it, it is a continuous effort, and it is a significant challenge to keep people informed and aware um, without um, the sky is falling type of a syndrome, which we don't like to do either. There are too many major issues. We don't want to create one that, that isn't real. We also are uh, spending a fair bit of time on web application security. Um, Darren will tell you that he believes many breaches happen inadvertently because people um, unintentionally will post something um, to a web application that they never intended to be publicly seen. So we um, have purchased a web application firewall that we know will help and we expect that it will supplement some of the controls that we've already put in place. But this is an area that I, I don't think is um, completely safe. I think all of us need to be attentive to the risks um, associated with building more and more uh, of our applications in the cloud and placing more data um, on web apps where they are shared by others. So I think a high priority for us and probably for everyone um, in, in our environment or in our industry. Um, a couple of other things that we're working on this year, um, network security forensics. Over the years when we have had um, concerns or issues or even preemptive work, we have done a little bit of outsourcing. Um, we've invited colleagues in who are experts and specialists in 
um, network security forensics, and um, and and most of those uh, relationships are are good ones, and we continue to use those partners when necessary. But we also recognize that some of the work is best done by our own team. So this year, we uh, hope to acquire and implement a few tools that might help us do a better job internally of security forensics. We have a, a strong team. I think the people that Darren has recruited are very good, but they don't always have the tools handy to um, do the kind of work they want to do. So we're focusing a bit of energy on the acquisition of those tools this year. We also, sort of in concert with um, with the deployment of those tools, we're doing more proactive penetration testing and, and system testing um, and doing it more routinely. Uh, and, um, and this seems to serve us well. Uh, again, I'm not sure we would be an example of a best practice, but I think we certainly are trying to be as attentive to this as possible. Um, without being inappropriately intrusive into the project teams and the work that they're doing. So um, uh, we'll, we'll need to continue doing this, and I think we've got the apparatus in place to do that as best we can. And then last, lastly, in my list of 10, I've already alluded to the meaningful use criteria that were published uh, by the, um, uh, the Office of the National Coordinator. And... Um, there is an expectation uh, that with some of those incentive payments comes responsibility for uh, both risk assessments, uh, which I listed as my first priority, and um, disclosure tracking, which is listed as my last, although certainly not least, priority that we are all going to be held accountable to do a much, much better job of, um, of disclosing when there is a breach. The wonderful thing about Hopkins, um, and one of the things that makes me so proud to be here, is that we have taken the high road in cases where we have had breaches and always immediately um, notified people who might have been affected by a breach, even if we were relatively certain there was little or no risk. Um, our general counsel's office has been phenomenal in ensuring that we, um, that we take the high road and we notify people. So I don't think this will be a new responsibility, but obviously the burden now is that it's being very closely scrutinized, and I think we will be as attentive as ever to uh, disclosure tracking. Well, you're certainly working on a lot. Uh, just to follow up on that last point, um, the federal agencies will begin enforcing next month, February, excuse me, the uh, new data breach notification rules, which now apply to uh, your business associates as well as your organization yes. itself. Um, what have you been doing to prepare for that? Have you been... Um, working on uh, changing the terms of uh, contracts with business associates to include some of these security provisions? Yeah, I think um, we, again, we've been fortunate in that our general counsel is a, a partner with us every step of the way with um, all matters associated with information security. I mentioned that my chief information security officer reports both to me and to her. And um, because of that, I think we have been very proactive um, in contracts that we've negotiated over the past several years in ensuring that we are, in fact, partners with our vendors um, and, and do hold them accountable to work with us for these data breach notifications. And, in fact, the experiences we have had have been good ones. Um, going forward, we are certainly ensuring that the language is as, uh, as strong as it needs to be to um, to hold both of us accountable for um, what we need to do. But I, I think um, uh, our re relationship management probably is is um, an, an asset that we do have here, and I think we've tried to ensure that our relationships with our vendors are such that even if the letter of the law isn't dictated within the contract, we, um, we comply together with the spirit of the law and I think have 
become well prepared to do what we need to do, but we'll obviously have to kick it up a notch as will everyone as these requirements become better understood. Getting back to encryption just briefly uh, under the breach notification rules, uh, if you encrypt uh, patient data, you don't have to report breaches because the data is assumed to be right. secure and unreadable. Um, I'm trying to get a feel for how extensively you're using encryption for your various clinical databases themselves and yeah. whether that will expand in the years ahead and whether your vendors are helping you with that. Yeah, it's an interesting topic. Um, as I mentioned, we have had um, a couple of uh, stolen laptops and things of that nature over the past three or four years. And in some cases, they were not encrypted, and it did um, it did draw attention to the importance of encryption because you don't have to um, notify, as you said, if, if all the data are encrypted. Um, but interestingly enough, I, I suspect our approach here at Hopkins, depending upon the nature of the breach, will be to do some form of notification, even if we feel comfortably that the devices have been um, successfully and completely comprehensively encrypted. Um, because of, of the issues that we've had in the past, we have taken this topic very, very seriously, and we began um, a, a major initiative to fully encrypt all devices and all data in motion, at least um, any any um, portable data, about three years ago, uh, and spent a great deal of time and attention on that. As far as our databases, some of it depends on where they reside. If the databases are resident within our secure uh, data center, um, I think we have invested less in encrypting them, although we have still begun the work of encrypting all of our clinical databases, but probably secondarily in those particular cases. If, however, the data might exist on any portable devices, um, we are ensuring that the, at the device level that we have uh, full disk encryption um, and, and any portable devices um, uh, have been held to that standard. So I think we still have work to do, but I think we have um, been a little bit ahead of the game in this particular area because we had to respond to a few issues uh, several years ago. Okay, finally, uh, since you've been there about 20 years now, how has your own focus as CIO um, on data security issues evolved over in recent years, and how do you expect it to continue to evolve in the years to come? You know, Howard, it's interesting. Um, it, it sounds trite, I guess, to say that security has always been a high priority for us, but in fact, it, it really has. I think places like Johns Hopkins um, recognize that we have reputational risk, and I think we've been um, attentive to the fact that information security and patient privacy really do matter a great deal. It doesn't mean that we're flawless. We certainly are not, but we've worked very hard to protect um, the brand, to protect the reputation, and protect our patients um, along the way. Um, our priorities as a department, um, always patient safety has been number one. I would say that's been true for at least a decade and always will be our highest priority. In fact, I have a staff meeting every Wednesday, and we go through our list of our seven top strategic priorities or top strategic initiatives. Patient safety is always at the top of that list. But information security is second on that list and has been for a very long time. And we, we um, use that agenda um, and all of the uh, items on it to talk through 
where we are at risk, where we believe the next patient might be harmed or where we believe the next piece of information might be at risk. Um, some of our other priorities include satisfaction and service and science, as you might imagine, and we talk about each of our priorities. But I, I don't believe there's been um, a, a major shift because I think we've been attentive to the fact that security is important. I will say that over the past two or three years, we've probably invested more in information security than we had in the previous years, and I think for obvious reasons, there's been a great deal of attention paid to it, and um, some of the tools and technologies are really now available. I'm not so sure that a decade ago, it would have been uh, trivial to go out and find the tools that you need to do intrusion detection or um, secure firewall protection for web applications, at least not as robust as they are today. So um, so we are investing more, and I think that's in part because the market has stepped up and there are more tools into which we can make investments. Stephanie, thank you so very much. We've been talking today with Stephanie Reel of Johns Hopkins Medicine. This is Howard Anderson of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.